This is a CBC podcast. Well, and look who it is over there. It's a justice minister. Are we taping this? Or? I know I've completely put you on the spot, and you're being a really good support about it, Minister. I appreciate it. What's your favorite part about being a member of Parliament? I guess it's, it's when you come into the, a building like this, but you see it again for the first time, usually through the eyes of somebody who's visiting. Giving tours of Parliament is actually one of my favourite things. So I'm going to take you on one today, but not for the high-profile ministerial sightings and the portraits of Prime Ministers. This tour is about what really happens here, how Parliament actually works. Because let's face it, politics does not have a great reputation for working all that well. This is hypocritical political grandstanding by a Prime Minister trying to distract from his failed carbon tax. I think a lot of people view politics as very heated and like conflictual and a lot of like debates. It has become glaringly obvious to everyone except for certain MAGA conservatives that they fight. In my mind and in a lot of people's though, the politics that happen here can be sort of disconnected and I think that's where people find problems with it. He doesn't want to talk about Canada or Canadians. He'd rather spread falsehood about faraway foreign lands, Mr. Speaker. Will he not stand up for once? Coming from Nunavut, I find a lot of, we just don't have like the, I guess, interests. I just don't think we focus on politics that way because we're focused on what's happening at home. Now, I get it. Not everyone loves parliament and politics as much as I do. Those university students you just heard feel some of those frustrations. But there's a lot more than clashing and conflict that goes on in these halls. I'm Catherine Cullen, and this is a special edition of The House. You can think of it as a guide to parliament, understanding how it works. How does an MP really decide how to vote? What's the best way to pin down a politician in a scrum? We'll find out. We also want to make sure we have some good fundamental questions to put to the folks in West Block and beyond. So we brought company. We asked a first-year politics class at Carleton University for their questions and invited five students to come ask them. My name is Kyla Silva, and when I finish my degree, I want to be a journalist. So my name is Tufik Shahab. My dream is to go to law school, potentially. So politics is one of the things that I can say I'm a nerd about. My name is Alex Regis, and when I complete my degree, I would like to start my own company. My name is Jire Fowler, and after my degree, I hope to either become a lawyer or a law professor. My name is Charmaine Khasalwa. After my degree, I hope to advocate for Inuit or Indigenous people, whether it be working in the hill or like with the city or town. Kyla, Tufik, Alex, Jire, and Charmaine want to understand. What do MPs and senators actually do? What's the point of a parliamentary committee? And how do you ask a good question in question period? So please, come to order. The House's special tour of Parliament is now in session. I want to learn more about how politics actually work and how Parliament works and see what I could take from this and learn from it and see if I could help Um, advocate for people moving forward. You think you could ever end up working in this place? I'm not saying no, but I'm not saying yes. I'm stuck between wanting to like run or if I should stay like in the local governing, you know, like out in the field helping people. Charmaine Casalua might be the keenest about politics in our bunch. She has a question for her own member of parliament, the NDP MP for Nunavut, Lori Idlow. 
So my question is, does an MP actually make an impact or have the power to make changes in our everyday lives? Uh, yes, absolutely, because there are two critical things that we do every day. Uh, we make decisions about what can become law uh, that impact everyone's lives. Uh, and the second one is that we make decisions about how money will be spent in Canada. So I absolutely MPs can make a difference on everyday lives of Canadians. One of the interesting things about being a member of Parliament is that part of your job happens in your riding and part of your job happens here. Can you talk to me a bit about that, the balance you try to strike in your responsibilities when you're in both places? When I'm here in Ottawa, I'm focusing all my advocacy on making sure that I can be seen because we're all competing for air. Uh, 338 MPs are competing for air. So I ask my staff here to make sure that I'm getting as much airtime as possible uh, by things like asking questions during question period, doing research on bills that we might be debating on that day so that whenever I'm asking my questions, it's related to the realities that I know that exist in my writing. And then when I'm in Nunavut, my schedule is quite different in that the whole focus is visiting with my constituents and learning from them what their priorities are, what their challenges are, so that I could amplify what they are saying to me when I come back to Ottawa. Charmaine, is there something else you'd like to ask? Yes. So when you were nominated, the deciding factor was on a coin flip, Mm -hmm. from my understanding? Yes. There were only seven voting members with the EDA. That's the Electoral District Association, right? Yes. It's the NDP supporters, essentially, in that riding. Exactly, yeah. And the EDA ended up needing to decide uh, between Alika and I. Um, Alika had received uh, support from, at the time, the president of the EDA. And so because he wanted her to be the candidate, he took himself out of the chair position, forcing the vote to be between six people. And each time that we tried to vote for who the candidate would be, it was always 3-3. Three, three. Uh, so we ended up saying it seems like there's not going to be consensus achieved between the six members that could vote. So unfortunately, or fortunately for me, it came to the coin toss. And I'm like, I'm, I still remember my reaction thinking that someone up there believes in me to make sure that uh, I do win this election because I knew right from the beginning that I would be the right candidate. I knew right from the beginning that I would be the right voice for Nunavut. What do you think when you hear that, Charmaine? That's interesting, the approach and the consensus of how the deciding factor was for you to be elected. Like, mm-hmm. I can't imagine for you sitting in that room, going against Alekha, where everyone else in the room also believes in her, mm-hmm. and then having that deciding factor. Only half. Only half. <laughs> we spot a couple more MPs, a liberal and a conservative, and ask for their take on what they actually do. First, we grab Quebec Conservative Gerard Deltel. He says in the riding or on the hill, a member of Parliament's first job is to represent the people who elect them. First and foremost, we are here on behalf of our people. So we represent them. We represent them in the House of Commons, we represent them in committee, and we also uh, have to hear them in the, in the riding. So there is two different, I would say, um, areas. 
the House of Commons and the Parliament and the writing. So if we take first the House of Commons, yes, there is question period, but question period is 45 minutes a day, and it's around, I don't want to give exactly the percentage, but I know it's less than 10%. If you take the full time that we spend in the House uh, for, to make the speeches on, uh, on the legislation, on bill, uh, on motion, we have uh, to, to debate on that, and it's a lot of time. Uh, but question period, if we take the, the, the work that we are doing in the committee and the House of Commons, is less than 10%. So the work in the House is one point, and also the work in the committee, too. In certain committee, we also study directly the bills. We also study the policies. This is what we are doing here in Ottawa. But in the writing, this is maybe uh, as much as important as what we are doing in the House, because we are there to listen to our people and to talk to them. And the best politician is not the one who talks all the time, all the time, all the time, like I'm doing right now, but the one who's listening the more to speak better after that. You talk about doing all this work on behalf of the people. Why do you think politicians get kind of a bad rap then? Well, that's, that's a different point of view. You know, uh, uh, I remember one of my colleagues in the National Assembly, Agnès Malte, was not on my side, by the way, but Agnès was a very interesting parliamentarian and with a lot of experiences. And, and she said once, people don't like politicians, but they like their politicians. So, you know, when we are in the, in the writing, when we speak to people, when we listen to them, and when we have great conversation with them, they understand what we are doing. So it's our responsibility to show that we are listening to them and yes, we are, we are there to talk on behalf of them. John McKay, liberal, long-time liberal MP. Elderly liberal. I didn't say that. Yeah. Um, how would you explain, how would you sum up what an MP actually does? Well, it's three jobs. It's a local job, it's a national job, and it's an international job. So you've got your constituency to worry about and to address the issues that arise there. You've got a uh, national job, and we deal with national issues. Um, and then in our spare time, we do international work. So in my case, I chair the um, Canada-U.S. Parliamentary Friendship Group, and easily the United States is far and away our most important ally. What's the best part of being an MP? Other than talking to reporters? Of course. Yes. Um, it's actually an opportunity to do things of significance. So this past spring, I got a royal assent on a bill about um, modern slavery. And it has the opportunity, if properly implemented, to do really significant things to our supply chains. And for those of you in your audience who are worried about slave-made products in our supply chains, this could actually make a difference. What would you like Canadians to better understand about what MPs actually do? Well, I think that MPs need to communicate to their constituents the difficulties of the job, the nuances of public policy. It's not soundbite to soundbite. It is actually some, some of the issues, we'll pick housing for instance, is extraordinarily complicated involving all three levels of government and uh, massive amounts of money to address an urgent need of Canadians. But I don't think people appreciate how complex running this country actually is. So uh, we are in the foyer of the House of Commons, so we're right outside the actual house. We're going to go in there in a little bit to check out question period. And you can actually see, I will just say, I don't know if you guys noticed, when you look out the window there, you do have this beautiful view of centre block where uh, Parliament, where all the action used to be. Now the party's over here. 
And the party will remain here in West Block for years while Center Block is being renovated. As we wait for question period to start, a group of reporters and cameramen gather near one of the doors into the House of Commons. They're standing by for the Prime Minister to stop and take questions. We'll talk more afterwards. Here he comes. On this day in December, the Conservatives are threatening to tie up the House of Commons and committees with a marathon of votes. In French, one journalist asks the Prime Minister what he thinks about it. Is he willing to work late? Justin Trudeau then repeats the same answer in English. Mr. Polyev can play whatever parliamentary games he wants. We're here to work. We're here to deliver for seniors. We're here to deliver for young people. We're here to deliver on housing, on affordability, on measures to support Ukraine. Um, He can, you know, make us work late. We're happy to do it because we're doing important things for Canadians uh, while he's pulling stunts. And then the Prime Minister walks away. Only two questions. Actually, that's one question. So... Just saw the Prime Minister take a couple questions from journalists. Anybody have any questions about what we saw? Does he, like, know the journalists are going to be there waiting for him, or is it, like, a planned thing? The answer to Jiray's question is yes. A politician's office will sometimes indicate to reporters when they plan to stop and take questions. When it's a group of journalists, we call it a scrum. Like in rugby, but hopefully with fewer injuries. To talk more about how it all works, we caught up with the queen of the scrum... Julie Van Dusen, a former CBC colleague still working freelance on the Hill. Julie's known far and wide for her gift for jumping all over politicians with her questions. You say jumping over politicians like it's a bad thing. I certainly don't think it is. Listen, I just wonder if there's anything you want to say about the dynamics, um, what the energy is like when you're the one in the middle. Well, it's a very complicated choreography because on the Hill you can have a static small scrum with maybe three people so you'll get your questions in and Ideally, you know something about the subject before it faces you. Sometimes you don't. This would be, in the foyer here, a relatively static scrum. But I've been in running scrums, escalator scrums, elevator scrums, throwing myself on car scrums. Like, this is a very static scrum. Throwing yourself on cars. Well, it's sometimes you have to get what you need, right? What, what is a good interaction with a politician as a journalist? Like, what is it that we're driving at? Well, we're trying to get information, and often a politician is trying to give you talking points, but reporters want to know the why of what you're doing. So if the politician is really good, he'll stick to his talking points, and in his head he'll have an answer to the one question he doesn't want to answer. He'll be prepared, and he'll have an exit strategy. And it can't be my mummy's calling me. He's got <laughs> he's got to have like uh, like Jean Chrétien used to say, uh, you know, I gotta go uh, lunch with Alin. Like he'd always have a way out. Yeah. It can't be running away, right? Or if you run, you have to run backwards and make yourself big, like you're facing a bear. You can't look afraid. Now, everybody has a different approach to this. We were hearing earlier how politicians uh, might do their jobs in different ways. Every journalist has a different approach. When I think of you. One of the classic moments of Julie Van Dusen that I think of was you actually, I believe, said to a politician at one point in a scrum, did you get hit over the head? Was that what you said to them? Well, yes, I I did. We had a politician years ago, uh, the Solicitor General, and I didn't say it like to be effronté, you know, I wasn't trying to be rude. rude. No. It was just, we were so like gobsmacked at the 
story of fantasy that he was weaving. Uh, so this politician, long story short, was on a plane, revealed some information that he shouldn't have revealed, and he kind of predetermined the end of an inquiry that was underway, and you're not supposed to do that. So Definitely in the House, not. in the House, like he said, Yui will take the fall, who was an RCMP officer. Anyway, all to say, he got yanked out into a scrum to explain, who, do, who were you talking to on this airplane? What did you say? Did you predetermine the end of an inquiry? And he said, well... I don't remember exactly who I was with, buddy, it was two days ago. Like, how hard could that be? Like, uh, like, what's the guy's name that you're with? What do you think you said to him? I'm not sure. I can't remember. It's only Friday or Monday. This was yeah. three days ago. So after half an hour of this, um, you know, Run around, to and froing, it's not something, like I said, I was trying to be rude. It was just like, nobody's buying your story. Like, is it possible a giant rock landed on your head? Like, in other words, did you get hit with something and you <laughs> forgot everything. But you were trying to knock him off his no, message I, track. I, I wasn't no? trying to, I was just trying to say we're not buying the story. What is the story? There was many good questions, but for some reason some people remember that one. In just a moment we'll head in for question period. That's all that most people see of Parliament. And a lot of energy on the Hill goes into that hour or so. Sean Murphy knows he worked for the Conservatives in the Whip's office, both when they formed government and were in opposition. He's followed the questions and answers for years. So first-year journalism and poli-sci student Kyla Silva puts her question about question period to him. How does someone decide what a good question during question period is? And if you have a good question, like, what can it do? It all depends on what you're trying to achieve. So first of all, the guidelines you're working within are you get 30 seconds and only 30 seconds. If you go over 30 seconds, the speaker's going to cut you off. And you have to be asking a question that falls within the administrative responsibilities of the government. So with those two things in mind, you go on to what it is you want to ask about. And oftentimes, different parties will have different approaches, but they'll usually go off of a, a set message track that they've been kind of driving towards over a period of time. So for instance, the official opposition conservatives right now for many months now, have been asking almost entirely questions about affordability, uh, housing prices, mortgage rates, about carbon tax, about uh, the price of groceries, gas, and heat. So it's, it's driving their message, so they're often crafting their question along those lines. So give us an example. Tell us one question that maybe you were behind the scenes for, maybe you helped with the question, or you just saw it happen and you were like... Darn right. Well, I think one of the most memorable moments that I got to witness firsthand was, uh, you may recall this, this is uh, several years ago when the government was proposing changes that it was alleged would have benefited the family of the finance minister at the time, uh, Bill Monod. And several times over days and weeks, Pierre Polyev had asked the finance minister about that specific issue. So the finance minister challenged Pierre Polyev to repeat that question outside here in the foyer. And the reason he does that is because... MPs have parliamentary privilege in that chamber, so they can debate freely and not be worried about being pursued for the things they say. So that was a bit of a threat by the finance minister to Pierre Polyev, and he said, well, what, what if I do it? What if I go out into the foyer and I ask the question? And so he did. He asked the question three or four times. Each time the finance minister said, why don't you go out there and say it? And he said, if I get up right now, uh, will he follow me out there and answer the question? And sure enough, he stood up, buttoned up his jacket, and walked down the aisle. And it was excellent television. And you can go back and watch it on YouTube. It was a huge moment, one of the best uh, I've witnessed. And he, he came to us in the lobby before doing it and, and kind of ran it by us and said, I think I should do this? And we said, absolutely, this will be great. So that was one of my favorite moments. But, like, is it ultimately just a partisan spectacle? Like, like, like some people might 
hear that story and go, oh, that's pretty shocking. And some people might bristle and go like, ugh, is this what politics has come to? What would you say to those people? Look, there, there are occasions when some members are far more animated and, and that's what they bring to the table. Then there's others who come in and they ask you know, very cerebral questions. They're asking about specific numbers and things that are probably more likely to show up in a written question. But there's a little something for everybody. You just got to tune in long enough to see it. I think people think about question period. They kind of look down their noses at it a little bit. Let me ask you just what is the point of it? I mean, what are we actually supposed to be trying to accomplish in question period? Well, I mean, I think they were doing question period way back in uh, when Canada was founded. But this is a tradition that I don't think is going anywhere. And whether it's evolved into this thing that people look down their noses at and and, uh, would like to see reformed or abolished altogether, I don't think anybody's going to do that. And consider what the alternative would be, right? I've brought friends from the U.S. and to watch Question Period before. And they're blown away to, to watch it. Well, because there is no equivalent town in the States. Can you imagine President Biden sitting across from his counterpart or former President Trump sitting across from one of his main critics or leader of uh, or Hillary Clinton or whoever it may be and asking him for 45 minutes a day questions? Like, it just doesn't happen. Cabinet secretaries in the States don't suffer that kind of scrutiny from their main political opponents the way it happens here in Canada. So I certainly wouldn't want to see it changed uh, in any way. We, we shouldn't take it for granted. It's a tradition in Canada that, that we should hold on to. Kyla, do you have any other questions you'd like to ask? Yes. So you said that question period is like irreplaceable and like full of tradition and stuff. But like, do you think that this tradition and like irreplaceability is like the best way to get like the impact that politicians want? Well, it Depends what the impact they want is, right? So this is the 45 minutes a day of the sitting week, so only when the House is sitting, that people are paying most attention to. But MPs have a lot bigger impact in most of what they do that isn't in QP. This just happens to be when a lot of people are tuning in, when the press gallery is is sitting up there paying attention. So the spotlights are brightest during QP, but I would say that this isn't where the most impact happens in an MP's uh, job. We'll get to the other places politicians can have an impact in a moment. Now, it's time for that bright spotlight. We take our seats in the gallery to watch Question Period, where there's heated debate about the cost of living. The Honourable Leader of the Official Opposition. Mr. Speaker, as this Prime Minister raises taxes on food, brings back malnutrition, brings in record-smashing food bank use, the best he can come up with is a bunch of scripted talking points from junior staffers in the PMO. That is outrageous. We will keep working for Canadians while the Conservative leader is only fueled by the sound of his own voice and has no real plan for this country. We will never back down from supporting Canadians. The politicians do seem particularly fired up today. As we emerge from QP, I asked Tufik what kind of grade he'd give them. I would go, surprisingly, with a B because here's the thing. So I wasn't surprised of how it's conducted. I've seen a lot of videos on this. And funny enough, me and my friends, sometimes we do have conversation about how, sorry to say this, but childish it is sometimes. Uh, but it still needs a strong personality, uh, especially if you're the prime minister, to go and be in front of people that are trying to make a trip with words, so to speak. So I think it needs a B. I think a lot of you, people's view of Parliament would be like more formal, like a very professional place, but there's a lot 
a lot of chaos going on. You actually said, this is crazy to me at one point. Like, what was it that made you think that was crazy? I don't know, just like a lot of like the yelling and the heckling was, it got, it got really heated at points. Okay, so let's move over to Kyla because she was nodding her head vigorously there. I've been involved in a lot of like uh, debate or like mock trial. Like there's like the Robertson rules and stuff like that. Like it's decorum's like a huge thing. Like the heckling was like, it wasn't even like comments on like politics and motions it was almost like digs on individuals and like that's just shocking because like considering like you have to wear a tie to be in there like it's crazy that all this like heckling is happening it's a tie a sign of being professional heckling maybe not such a professional vibe yeah definitely okay uh alex what did you think of that? Yeah, so I, I have to agree with what they've said. Um, I was barred from sitting in a certain section because I forgot to wear a tie, but it feels like most of the, quote, debating between the two sides were just, they know each other's points, but they yell at each other and then, you know, try to get into as many zingers as possible. And I, I, think, I think it was shocking how juvenile it seemed. But it gets them to sort of get off of their high horse and act like people, however juvenile it may seem. Charmaine, what stood out to you? That everyone talks about question period and that some people refer to like a playground. So I do see like it's a playground, but I guess that's what's great about Canada, the way we approach it, the way we do this question period compared to like when I forget which MP compared us to the States. It was Sean, I think, yeah, was saying Sean. he's had friends who came from the U.S. and they were surprised by it. Yeah. Yeah. So I think, I guess that's what's good about Canada, right? I really, I think that's super interesting. Yeah. On the one hand, you found it a bit juvenile, yeah. but on the other hand, you're saying it's a pretty useful exercise. Even, like, think, like, kind of just, like, all the heckling, like, kind of added to, like, the intrigue of it, which I think can be important. And, like, when we talk about, like, getting people involved in politics and getting people, like, to know about the decisions being made, because a lot of the time in our law class, we talk about how people are, like, distant from the courts because they're kind of boring and mundane, but I found this really exciting and interesting. Alex, you wanted to add something? It's certainly a show, and I think making um, the most important decisions in our country being a show is certainly, it can be a really good thing for informing people. I'm Catherine Cullen, and you're listening to a special edition of The House from CBC Radio. We're taking you into Parliament to understand how it really works. We've got five first-year university students with us to put their questions about politics to the people in power. Like, what good is an unelected Senate? Let's go ask. Hi there, Senator. How are you? Nice to meet you. I'm Catherine. Yes, hi. It was Canada's first Prime Minister, Sir John A. Macdonald, who said the Senate would be a place of sober second thought. One of the Carleton students with us wants to know more about what that actually means. So we're meeting with Bernadette Clément. She's a former mayor and one-time Liberal candidate. She was appointed to the Senate by Justin Trudeau in 2021. Here's first-year politics student Jerry Fowler's question for her. Yeah, so what role do unelected senators have in making our laws? So I love talking about the Senate because many, many, many Canadians don't, don't really have it at the centre of their conversation around politics. And yet we play uh, an essential role in terms of making sure that 
legislation is passed. So our job is to review legislation that is um, provided, prepared, reviewed by the House of Commons, by the elected MPs. And the way that we do that is we go into committee and we study things quite in depth. You know, we can call witnesses, we can do our own research, we can have uh, conversations with Canadians, stakeholders, and propose changes. We can make observations concerning legislation. So our job is to review. We can also create our own legislation, so private senators' bills as well. The fact that we're unelected is a big question always in the minds of Canadians. It's important that when we consider legislation, we're not thinking about the next election, the next fundraising campaign. Uh, the sweat is not necessarily running down our backs as we're deciding how to vote on a piece of legislation. And so um, that's just my perspective. I have been an elected person. I was a former mayor of Cornwall, Ontario. So I know the difference between sitting there as an elected person, which is crucial to our system, but I can also see the point and the value uh, of sitting as somebody who's appointed. I'd love to pick up on that, not just about the unelected part, but the independent part. You are a member of the independent senators group. You chose to sit with them when you became a senator. You have the conservatives saying, listen, the title may say independent, but these folks were appointed ultimately by the Prime Minister. They are beholden um, to a political party. How would you explain to people just how independent senators are or are not? Every senator has a personal perspective, right? We're appointed until age 75, and if we decide to stay, we stay. Some of us have shorter time, longer time in that place. But certainly this current government made a choice around creating space for independence. So they appoint, and then the senators that are appointed under this government do not sit with this government in caucus. So that means that we come into the Senate, we can choose to belong to a group. I have chosen the independent senators group, and I really do sit as an independent. I have proposed uh, many amendments to legislation uh, made and proposed by this government. I stood up in chamber and spoke against legislation proposed by this government. And I did so standing fully as an independent. Jerry asked what role senators play. There are folks, the NDP for example, who don't think we need a Senate. They would like to see the Senate abolished. What is the best argument in your mind for what the Senate contributes? We really can take a very thoughtful approach to reviewing legislation. Some of the amendments I've made, for example, are around making sure that black and racialized people are properly recognized in legislation, making sure that Indigenous languages are properly, specifically recognized. So that's, that's a role for the senators to play, is to, is to reflect, it's our constitutional role to reflect regional interests. And so we are there to make the laws better. We're not there to stand in the way of the elected people. And for the most part, legislation gets through. We're not there to get in the way, we're just there to make sure that all those voices are properly represented and specifically referenced in legislation. I also wanted to ask the Senator about a difficult moment for her, one that speaks to the tone of Parliament right now. 
In November, she moved to adjourn debate on a hotly contested piece of legislation involving the carbon tax and farmers. One senator got so angry about the closure, he was accused of bullying and wound up apologizing. Conservative MP Andrew Scheer also tweeted out what Clément describes as a wanted-style poster that included her picture. She believes that post contributed to a stream of abusive calls and messages, including one threatening enough that she wound up leaving her home, fearing for her safety. That was a very difficult moment for me personally, and I initially thought, you know what, it's politics, we're here to do our job, and I was doing my job when it led to you know, a lot of anger and heated comments and inappropriate yelling. And I thought, you know what, let's just keep going. This is what we do here. It's not not always an easy place. But then when that um, tweet went out and I felt unsafe in my home in Cornwall, in Cornwall where I was mayor, I thought, you know what, I think I need to go back online to talk to Canadians about what my role is as a senator, what we do in chamber, what an adjournment looks like. And when I took to social media to do that is when more anger came in, in a way that was uh, misogynistic, racist. And it was important for me and other senators to stand in our chamber and talk about the way that we talk to each other there, but also to think about how we speak to each other online. And we had a moment in the Senate. We had a good conversation where senators from all corners of that chamber stood up and said, let's pay attention to tone. Let's take more time to um, study this. And so I'm glad to see that the conversation is going to continue. We've received apologies and we've accepted those apologies. And now there's more work to do. How are you doing so you, you gave me a very thoughtful answer about process and institutions, but I am interested in what this has meant for you personally. It's been very difficult. I love politics. I've been doing municipal politics for years, and I'm so proud to be here in Ottawa, you know, as a black woman, as a, a senator for Ontario, as a francophone woman. I didn't want to be at the center of a firestorm like this. You know, I wanted my first interview on power and politics to be about the substance of a bill and about amendments that I and others might have been working on. But instead it was about feeling unsafe and not properly respected in my workplace. And so that was difficult. But I want to remain hopeful That's the thing about politics is people from the outside can say, it looks really negative and terrible. But most of us do it because we're hopeful that we can make a difference and that we can um, change things and have politics reflect what's going on in Canadian society. So I'm hopeful that that we have a better conversation about this and that we continue to talk about it. So just so you guys know, now we have an app after COVID... They developed this app where you don't necessarily have to be in the chamber when you're voting. What happens is when you're about to vote, you vote, whether it's yay, nay, or abstaining, and then you have to take a picture of yourself and submit it. So you grab this thing, and then you go, vote. Then now it takes your picture. Okay, so I go, yay, it took a picture of me, and then I just submit it. 
Liberal MP Ali Asasi is voting on legislation from his office. We've come here to talk about how parliamentary committees work. Asasi is the chair of the Committee on Foreign Affairs and International Development. Here's engineering student Alex Regis's question for him. Um, thank you very much for agreeing to answer some questions. Um, I wanted to know what role do committees play in shaping legislation and in holding the government accountable? For sure. Um, as you can imagine, committees uh, play a number of different roles. One of those roles is when you have draft legislation, it's for committees to actually review it, to hear from witnesses, to lean in on the expertise that so many uh, Canadians have who can speak to the complexities of legislation and to make sure that we reflect on it and make sure that there are no shortcomings in a piece of legislation or uh, how we can uh, make sure that it's more robust. We come up with recommendations. That's essentially what we're expected to do when it comes to prospective issues. So that's one. But as you have rightly pointed out, there's also the function of making sure that we hear from officials, uh, to hear from bureaucrats, and hear from ministers as well. Because it's important that irrespective of what party we're from, that we be provided answers so, so, so that we can, in our own individual capacity or even partisan capacities, to make sure that... The- what Asasi said there about partisan capacities is relevant. While QP may pack in a lot of partisanship, you do see it in committees too. Like this moment when the finance committee was almost paralyzed with sniping. You ask a question. The question uh, was allow, not about allow, the document. Out, out the question respect. was about you ask the question out of, out of respect and uh, out of All respect right. to everybody that's First here. Yes. Minister, can um, you please MP Holland, answer MP Holland. why uh, Canadians should minister, have faith in you? MP Holland, even though your housing MP agency Holland. doesn't. That's MP the question. MP Holland, I've asked my M- question. MP Holland, you asked a question. Allow the witness to answer the question. She's not the answering did, the question. The witness did not even have a nanosecond to answer your question. Point, point so, of order, Mr. Chair. Point of not, order. not only is is that irrelevant and untrue, and they're not asking answering the question. You shut me down the last uh, by adjourning the meeting improperly. So could you please let conservatives speak? I know you don't want to hear it as a liberal. I know no. you don't want to hear about the housing hell. And you. I wanted to ask Asasi about how much politics figures in at committee. Because he's a chair, he's supposed to be a kind of referee, making sure everyone gets their allotted time, that the rules are followed, and that order is maintained. We all went up and checked out question period earlier today, and I think some of these guys were a bit struck by how partisan and chaotic is exactly the word. Are committees any better? Uh, It it depends on the committee. I've sat through a wide variety of committees, but it really does come down to the members of each committee. Yes, I I completely agree with you. Uh, Sometimes you can see that members are overextended and they're not particularly focused on on the issues at hand, uh, which is really, really terrible. But it really comes down to a case-by-case basis, in my opinion. So what does it look like when it's really working well? Well, uh, what does happen is it's not just the uh, formal proceedings that are taking place, but there are many discussions that take place uh, between members of different parties. Because I, I think at the end of the day, especially, for example, when you're talking about foreign affairs, that we might not try to make it overly partisan and that we have common sense and that we accommodate each other's perspectives. Because if you don't do that, then then in my opinion, it undermines the very fabric 
of this institution. So the Americans, when it comes to foreign affairs, they do have an expression. They say our differences really have to end at the water's edge. And to the extent possible, and and I'm sure I have my own biases, I really try to accommodate everyone to make sure that uh, everyone is heard and you can see their fingerprints on a study or a piece of legislation. This was really insightful. Thank you very much, Ali. Thank you very much, Catherine. I mean, if you guys want, we can now uh, proceed to the committee and uh, you can see how the proceedings work. Now, pursuant to Standing Order 1082, uh, the committee will proceed to a briefing on the situation in Israel and Gaza. I'd uh, like to welcome our two witnesses from... Much of the work that committees do is aimed at making our laws better. But how do politicians decide whether a bill should become a law? It's time to talk about voting. You often hear about whipping a vote. That's when a party tells MPs they have to follow the party line. But we don't often hear about votes being formally whipped. Party discipline in Canada, though, is very strong, and the majority of MPs tend not to go out on their own. We tracked down NDP House Leader Peter Julian to help us get a better understanding. Aspiring law student Tufik Shihab wants to know how MPs make up their minds. Actually, I had a question about votes uh, when it comes in regards to legislation. So, as an MP, do you vote based on the parliament and your constituent, like your party, or is it uh, on your conscience? So is it an individualistic thing or a party-related vote, do you think? That's a great question. And it's a question that would be answered differently, I think, from the other parties than from the NDP. Uh, Because what the NDP does is we have weekly caucus meetings where we work through votes like this. So a vote will come on a piece of legislation. Members of Parliament will express their views from Nunavut and from New Westminster Burnaby and uh, from other parts of Hamilton, Hamilton Centre. We all express our views. And then we work through that, that bill. If, if we're all on the same wavelength, that's one thing. If we have uh, different perspectives that we need to work through, sometimes it takes uh, a couple of meetings or two or three meetings to work through how we're going to approach that legislation. And so the votes will often be determined on whether or not uh, we're able to make amendments to make the legislation better. If it's legislation that we think could be supported but needs to have some additional improvements. Can you sort of help me see it. Can you tell me about one vote where you personally struggled with how you were going to vote? One piece of legislation where you had a real internal reflection about what to do? Uh, It actually happens quite regularly and it's in that dialogue with other, including our critic, because normally the person who is responsible, our, our shadow cabinet critic, brings forward that recommendation as the person that we we look to in terms of the initial recommendation and then we work through how best to approach that legislation. So when I first see a bill, sometimes I'll say that this bill doesn't do enough, but then uh, we look at what we can do in terms of the committee stage and amendments, uh, and then I, I realize, yeah, we can support the principle of the bill and get those amendments that are actually going to improve the bill. Even looking uh, right now, a piece of legislation before this House, it, it was originally put forward, C-56, uh, that didn't have in place the... Um, Competition Act supports that we believe are actually 
absolutely critical for people right now. We're seeing a lot of food price gouging taking place. Uh, food price gouging that means that the families are being ripped off and yet the government has done little in enhancing the competition bureaus so that there's more consumer protection. Well, this is now amendments that are going to be brought into C-56, so it's another example of a bill that I had reluctance for, but now I see uh, because of the improvements the NDP are bringing, it's going to provide material benefit to Canadians. As the NDP, do you sometimes have to vote with the government when you don't really want to because of your agreement? I, I think it's fair to say that the day that I don't feel comfortable voting on something that I don't think will bring benefit to Canadians, that would be a different conversation. Right now... That would be uh, a different conversation? That would be a different conversation. Right now, we're, we're looking at the final implementation of dental care. That is something that we're just in the process of, of finalizing. The pharmacare discussions that we're having are extremely important. Anti-strike breaker legislation, which helps federal workers who, up until now, have had employers basically hire replacement workers, and it's been very difficult to get into labor negotiations. All of those things are making a difference for, for Canadians. The day when I don't believe that we're bringing that material benefit to Canadians, making a difference in helping them, that'll be a different story. It's almost time to wrap up our tour, but what did our five students think of it all? I started by asking Jire if anything surprised her. Question period honestly really surprised me. Like I've seen it before, but I feel like today really challenged me to look at it in a different way. Um, before I kind of thought of all like the conflict and like the heckling and just like the chaos of it as really negative. But today I found it really like intriguing and I think it kind of like asks like how people can be more involved in like political debate and discussion and just like being aware of politics if it's like posed in a manner that like yes there's conflict but it's also can be entertaining and really intriguing for people. Kyla, what was the most interesting thing you saw or learned today? Asking a question to the Prime Minister is sort of up there at the top of the food chain and you got to be in the scrum as journalists were asking him questions. What did that feel like? Well, today was chaotic, um, but like I... People <laughs> that that is a- an accurate representation of life on Parliament Hill, I'll <laughs> <Yeah>. tell you. <laughs> people have been apologizing for it all the time that it was chaotic, but like I really like love it and it makes me like... I was so excited to come here and I was like... I'm still so excited to like be here, like in the scrum specifically, when there's like a pause, like like a slight breath, all of like the journalists like jump to get like their voice heard. And like, I really like that. It's like exactly what like I want to do. And it's exactly what I like to see. So it felt empowering, I guess. Awesome. Tufik, uh, I want to ask you this. You told us earlier, your friends like to talk about politics. Mm-hmm. What are you going to tell your friends about what you saw and learned today? Like it's the first time that I am that close to Parliament and that I got to see Parliaments from this perspective. Like I mean, for sure you can still get closer, but at mm-hmm. least as an outsider, it's also interesting to see how available Prime Minister is. Right. So you just walked out of the gate, answered a couple of questions, and walked away. I don't think you can see that pretty much in other countries, such as the U.S., for example. So I appreciate the availability that um, kind of the ease that is going in in, in the Parliament here. Right. Alex, has anything that you have heard or seen today changed your feelings about Parliament or politics? I think before coming here, my feelings about Parliament were very much what you see on TV, uh, people yelling at each other in the House of Commons. Um, But since being here, a lot of what we've been doing and the people we've been talking to in the hall, everybody's coming from a meeting and on their way to a meeting. There's people running around everywhere, handing papers to each other. And I think it's 
it's made me think that Parliament is a lot more well-oiled of a machine than you can typically think about governments from the outside. Um, yeah. Awesome. Charmaine, you said at the beginning of the day that maybe you'd like to run for office one day. And I wonder, did anything you saw today change your mind one way or the other? I'm still in the I don't know yet phase if I should run or if I should continue to advocate higher, like in the hill, or if I should still continue at the field work. Well, there you go. Artura may not have quite convinced Charmaine to run for office, but hopefully you see Parliament a little more clearly now. This week's special was produced by Jennifer Chevalier, recorded and mixed by Emma Godmere, with help from Kristen Everson and Christian Poslang. Thanks also this week to Carleton University students, Charmaine, Alex, Jire, Kyla, and Tufik. I'm Catherine Cullen. Thank you so much for listening. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.